Please be seated. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Pretty excited to talk to you today from Ephesians. It's an amazing letter Paul wrote, one of the prison epistles. And it's we're in chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles and would like to turn there, we're going through the last half of chapter 4. But, but really, the thing is, we have this eye-popping new amazing truth. What is it? We know it. It's that God adores us. That's incredible, you guys. We, we've, we've looked at it. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he just didn't give a single thing to do. He didn't give anything you even had to take a step in. He just prayed and presented the amazing love of God for us that is so hard to understand. The width, the height, the depth. Remember how that ended in chapter 3? It's unknowable. It's so amazing. And if you could glimpse it, that is being filled with the fullness of God. God for us. Forgiveness, right? And, and, and holiness and righteousness and wisdom and all Jesus for us. And, and that's a full stop, the fullness of God. And, and it's so amazing. I, I, you know, you want to make a fool of yourself. I want to do jumping jacks. We could all do jumping jacks together. No, let's not. But it's that cool. And the thing is, though, is you say, yeah, 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 and you hear that, and you, we hear the words that God loves us, and we nod our head. But, you know, life goes on. Things keep happening. The sun comes up again. And, and, so, and so Paul goes on to tell us a little bit about what life looks like together in light of this amazing truth. And he talks about it in terms of walking. So I told you this last time that the rest of Ephesians, the last three chapters, are arranged around five walks and a stand. He even uses those words, walk like this, and then a little bit later, walk like this. And last week, we looked at the very first one of those. It was walk in unity, which means walk knowing this one truth is what connects us, that Jesus Christ adores us, the love of Christ for us. Look what he's done. That was last week. And this week, I'm calling this a change in gait because... Our Christian life means we actually do make some changes. Things are different for us, and they're because of our new understanding. A new walk that's changed. And so it's really interesting, and interesting and a little surprising again from Paul. What he says are the ways we respond, and they may not be exactly what you've been taught or even what you think. So I want to show you. Here we go. We're going to start with the feudal mind. This is verse... 17 of chapter 4. So here we go, verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. That's an interesting phrase as we start off. So he's in his second walk. So he says walk twice in this. It doesn't actually appear. We've translated a little funny. He, he testified you must no longer walk. That's the first walk. It said, And there's no must. It says, I, I, I testify to you. I, don't be walking like the Gentiles do. It actually says like the Gentiles walk. Everybody's walking. But they're walking in the futilities of their minds. So wait, wait a minute. Think this through with me. Because I'm tempted to say, yeah, don't walk like them. But who are the Gentiles? I'm a Gentile. Wait a minute. Don't walk like myself? 
What, what, what is he meaning? Don't walk like the Gentiles do, and I'm a Gentile, so don't walk like you do. Right? Like you used to, before you knew this incredible good news that Jesus loves you, even though you're a sinner. So, so the futility of their minds, the Gentiles are in, right? means that even though people use their minds, even though people are smart and they try and answer the world's problems and their own issues and work on themselves and make the world a better place, it's futility, fruitless. And lots of activity, but it doesn't work, right? Because their mind is not set on the right stuff. You say, well, what does that actually mean? Well, here's a little illustration for you. I don't know if it'll come through and you can see it. Here's one. I saw this on the Internet the other day. This is a two tennis ball cans. And you know, cutting your tennis balls in half allows you to store two more balls in each can, saving space. So if you thought that what you needed to do in life was cram as many tennis balls as you could in a, in a container, then it might be a good idea. Let's cut them in half. What does that miss? It's not going to be used as a tennis ball anymore. That's foolishness. It's not, but I accomplished the thing. Yeah. It's an amazing thing what Christianity does. It changes what we think is the purpose, the reality of what we're doing. And then there's people out there who kind of, kind of get pieces of it and then they're cramming tennis balls, cutting them in half. So I, it sounds as though, well, no one would ever do that. No, I, I, I know people, don't you? Lots of them, even me, myself sometimes. But I know a, a dear, amazing, smart, educated, loyal, and, and, and the goal of their life is to have the smallest footprint they can have on earth. So half a bag of trash a year. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? The amount of, they've, they've managed to cut down on waste that much. They like to have such a small carbon footprint, it wouldn't even, you know, I don't know. It's a tiny. So that, if that's your goal, if that's what you think, that then, then that's a huge success. But what are they not doing then? All the things you can do with your stuff to help bless people, to just be kind to them. But that's wasteful. No, wait. It all depends on your outlook, right? It depends on what you, you think you need to do. It depends upon how you're living life, what you see. And, and so Paul says the difficulty we have, Gentiles, is that there's a futility of mind. It's pretty serious. Here's the problem with much of this world that keeps on going in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You've got to get past a little bit like, oh, he's saying bad things about people. We don't like that. We don't like everyone to be affirmed. No, he's talking about us in our natural state. The way that we naturally think, right? Really important to understand. People are living their entire lives out there, straining and working and living, raising families, finding identity, trying to make a difference, getting by, and they're darkened in their understanding. This means they don't get it. Rioters, demonstrators, don't get it. Those who think they're liberal, don't get it. Those who think they're conservative, don't get it. It's not about that stuff, right? People trying to do the best they can, don't get it. And because they don't get it, they are alienated from the life of God. Talk about something huge. 
The only life there is, right? It's not God's fault. He has done great things for them. Uh, Jesus died for the world. John 3.16. It's their own ignorance. And it's not just innocent ignorance, right? Like, like, oh, I didn't know God was for me. That's great. I, that changes everything. It's willful ignorance. This is heavy. But they're saying, I don't want to know. That's what Paul says, right? Because of the, did you see? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I don't want no stinking Jesus. I don't need that. I've heard it all my life. I'm sure you have too. Hey, that's really good for you. But, but I've got a grassroots movement to make the world a better place. But, but, but I'm, I'm working on making better decisions and better actions and better thoughts. But, but I'm treasuring people more because of their innate value. I'm valuing our institutions. We need to get more history, more science, more opportunities for people. Uh, we're good. We just need some help to get a little better. Okay, newsflash that we've discovered. We are not good. That's the Bible. While we were yet sinners, that's not good. Jesus died for us. That's willful ignorance to think that. And what we really need is a, and what we have is a savior. It's a big deal. Rejecting the idea of a savior and focusing on an innate goodness of people, the progress of humankind, our own advancement, even the appeasing of whatever powers that are out there by trying to be as good as we can, because that's the Gentile way, right? This makes us callous. That's what Paul writes. In verse 19, he says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You need to look really hard at this with me. Because it should shock you what Paul is saying. And it's really hard what he says. But it's true. And it's not how it's presented in most places, even in Christendom to me. Usually the presentation goes something like this. If you do bad things, and if you like... Um, get in bad habits, those bad habits to start to harden your heart and you get callous. Have you ever heard that? Like bad habits lead to a, a, a conscience or something that hardens you. So don't do the bad stuff because you're, you'll get hardened. And Paul is actually saying it goes the other direction. You're calloused. Therefore, you go after bad things. You see how that's different? See, it's backwards from what sometimes we think. It's the lack of understanding. It's the lack of actually having the Holy Spirit open your eyes to the truth. It's your unwillingness to say, I'm just a sinner and where's my Savior? And you, you stop that and you say, I'm going to work on myself. And what that leads towards is a callousness that eventually leads towards you going the wrong way with your behavior. Not the other way around. The callousness comes because of willful ignorance and hardness about the need and the truth that God in Christ loves them, loves sinners, not loves winners. Loves the losers. And if you reject that, then you work to make everything better. That's a pathway that leads to, says Paul, badness, sensuality, greed, impurity. 
What does that that look like? It looks like cutting corners to get to the goal. You get cynical because bad people seem to advance. So just be bad. You think other people's motives are worse than yours. You're judging them. You start thinking you're the best or you start thinking you're the worst. And you start having things right that lead you towards behaviors that are callous and wrong. And why? Because you don't get the message. That's the pathway the Gentiles are on, right? It starts maybe with a good intention, but it quickly goes south. Go ahead. You can test this. You can look at history. Our society is discovering this right now, I think. Uh, Many of our own historical heroes, they're being what? Canceled. Why are they being canceled? Because they were, oh, newsflash, sinners. It's like, oh, you mean George Washington wasn't Jesus? No, he was a sinner. And so all these people, you go into their lives, you say, man, people ought to be these paragons of virtue. So you go try and find the paragon of virtue and you go into their life. Hey, go into my life. What do you do? What do you end up doing? Canceling me because I'm a sinner. But you know what I actually am? If you're a Christian like me and you see it, you say, wait a minute, you're a sinner saved by grace. There's some value. But if you don't get that and you just take the first part, there you go. I mean, you, you'll be cutting up more tennis balls to fit in the can. Because you think that's what the goal is. You think that's what the thing is that we're here for. The purpose is to be the very best we can be in some way that you don't even really get. And and it, it's not loving to ignore that that's true. That the world is under the sway of the devil. And you say, well, yeah, those people out there, they don't get it. They don't get it. They're wrong. And what's the proper response to that? They are forgiven. They're sinners and they're people who Jesus died for. But, but, But when we reject that, we have our own standards. We'll hold them till we die. That's us pushing the message away. And so Paul starts out saying, hey, don't walk like that. Don't walk like you used to. And he doesn't mean don't talk, don't, don't walk like you used to in the sense of stop like doing gross sins, like getting drunk and tearing down. No, he, he's saying don't walk like you used to in the way you thought life was about. The things you thought were important. And instead, come here to renewed mind. I like renewed mind. That just sounds like New life. It sounds like amazing things. And indeed it is, because that's what he says in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Oh, I like that with an exclamation point. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Do you see this amazing thing he turns to? So he's been saying some hard things and now he turns and he's just so gets so excited. Why? Because he's talking about who? That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. That's what he's doing, right? He says, he says, take your eyes off the world and get, and he gets you right here. Fix them on Jesus and his love, the height and the breadth and the depth. This will always be the struggle. We're constantly taking them off of Jesus and getting them on other things. So come back here. This is the way you learn that the truth is in Jesus. What truth? That it's none of what you do, it's all of what he's done. 
His love, not your love. Look what it means. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So take off that self-oriented person. It's not about you. It's not about your failings or your progress. It's not about your improvement or your decay. Not about how well the world goes or how great people are to you or what your preferred group is. It's so important to get your eyes off the self because your very manner of life, says Paul, is corrupt. Super insightful. Why would he say that? Not my manner of life. My manner of life is upright and good. My nose goes up. No, that's not true, right? He says, he says, we have deceitful desires. So, so, so think about that phrase for a minute, deceitful desires. What is that? The, the desires, right? Their wants are, are things we think are needs that look okay to us. They look righteous. They're righteous looking desires that are not. It's not desires that are evil and corrupt and you know in your heart that you shouldn't be looking at those pictures, dude. It's not that. The desires I think are righteous and good. Everybody needs these desires. I want to have, I, you know, I just want to have what's mine. I want to have the reward of my labors. We can't get away from pride. We can't get away from ourselves. We see it over and over in government, right? Every government. You've heard the phrase, power corrupts, and it corrupts Absolutely. I don't know that that's right. I think that power just reveals. It just shows what's already there. And what's there? Corruption, because people are sinners. And so you look at how many people on the other side of the political aisle line their own pockets, and you say, that is just terrible. And then you look at your side. They're doing the same thing. Why? Because they're people. I just... And my heart goes, where's the one who's just pure and true? You know, like our ideals, like like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. See, that one, it's a classic. Good man goes and gets things done. I want that, and I think I'm going to be that. And, and, and yet, and it, as I want that, and I go down, and even not try and be it, I see that I'm corrupted even in my own desires. That was a movie, by the way. It wasn't real. So show me, so show me, do it in your own life. So show me, show me the parent who's just all the time about helping their child and never has any frustration on their own. If you have, you haven't been to my house. I live there. My kids are awesome. And yet I still get frustrated. Just show me the worker who's wholeheartedly just about helping his employer and, and, and never ever feels like they've been put upon or, or asked to do something they don't want to do. Show me the spouse who's the picture of self-sacrifice at all times. Just don't show it in my, I'm, I'm not there. Who never kind of thinks about their own needs and always, always just thinks only about the other person's needs. It doesn't exist. It's aspirational. I would love for it to be true. Those are good things. It just doesn't describe me. <laughs> Nor dare I say you. So we see these ideals and we're deceived into thinking we can be that. Instead, Paul says, we're renewed in the spirits of our minds. By what? By the newfound depth of the love of God for us. That while we're sinners, he loves us. It's not about me attaining that. 
It's love all the way through because he says, look, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this new self is the self that looks at Jesus. Look, created after the likeness of God. The only likeness I know of God is Christ. Hebrews 1 says he's the perfect representation of God. Look, true righteousness. What's true righteousness? The righteousness of Christ, not mine, not my imperfect righteousness. Or, or, or true holiness. Well, that's Christ, not me. We trust in Jesus and not ourselves. The new self is not a moral imperative. It's not a renewed effort to be better. The new self is one that trusts and hopes and relies and rests and is assured in Jesus himself. Amazing. That, that's, that's what Paul wants you to know today. It's like to, and that's why in Colossians, when he writes a very similar passage, it's even in the perfect tense. It's like, you've already done this. Why? Because we've already done this when we turned from our self-salvation and we turned to Christ and said, Jesus, help, I'm putting my trust in you. That's, that's the putting on of the new self. And we keep, we keep renewing our mind in that. We keep coming back to that's where our hope is. And you've got to stay there and you can't because this world soaks it and the Gentile world that I'm a Gentile, I'm a part of, here it is pulling you back to think, no, it's really about how well am I doing. It's really about me. It's really about my desires not becoming more deceitful, but becoming less so and me getting better. I want to be a little God myself. Paul says, watch out. Come back to Christ. And really, you could stop right there. You can stop and say, okay, there's the theological point. There's the thing he's saying. That's the deep truth that underlines here. It's going to connect right back to the deep love of Christ for you. If we're having trouble, go back to the cross and look at the amazing wonder of Jesus for you. And we could stop today. I'm really glad he doesn't. Because Paul doesn't stop. Instead, what he does is he gives us some examples. <laughs> I like examples. They're really good because because people say it all the time. Says, Dax, that's a great theological point you just made. That's an awesome thing. I don't know how it plays on shoe leather. I don't know how it works out. So Paul does that right here. It's like I've given you this amazing, wonderful truth. Here's how trusting in Jesus for you and for me plays out. Different colors of paint. Verse 25. Therefore, hey, this is true. All the stuff I just told you, there it is. There's the point. Don't, don't be, don't walk like you used to in the futility of your mind, even the things you thought were okay as a Gentile. Instead, walk in renewed, wondrous life that Jesus loves you. Amazing. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so what I see is put away falsehood, Speak truth. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, I get that. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Right? But Paul doesn't appeal to the law, does he? It's not a new law. Here's law. Here's a reinstatement of the law for you. No, it's totally different. It's an example of what he's been talking about with the renewing of your mind, right? Because he doesn't appeal to the law. He says, speak truth because your eyes are open that you are members of one another. How am I a member of you? Jesus, you, in Jesus, me, in Jesus. 
one body. He did it. What's the basis for that? He loves you. What's not the basis of that? Your behavior. I can still think, I don't really like what you do, but I'm, I'm a member with you. What? Of what? Of Christ who died for me and forgives me. That's so amazing. So what? So I don't have to lie to you to make you think I'm better than I am. Right? I no longer need to do that. We're both loved by the king, no matter if we speak the truth or not, we are. But it makes no sense for this hand to lie to this hand. They're connected to the same head that knows them both. Right? So falsehood is sort of presenting ourselves as better than we are, usually to increase our esteem or to, to hide something. And we don't need to anymore because we're both loved so amazingly by the king. We're not, not dependent at all about the, the part of my language, the garbage we've done. I guess garbage is okay. What came to mind is another word. Okay, so that's an example, right? A new reason to tell the truth. And it's a logical reason. It's not a way to keep God on your side. He already is. He's on your side. Look at the next logical reason. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Well, that's a little strange. Opportunity to the devil? Yeah, that's interesting. Where there's something strange, he's giving you something interesting that ties it again. You know, anger is really easy to slip into, right? There are so many things wrong with what other people do to me. Examples all over the place. I was driving home from the camp out yesterday afternoon, and I was glad I was alone. Because the person in front of me, man, I think they were from Canada. Sorry if you're from Canada. But they were driving so slowly. And they would come up to the roundabout. You know, there's a couple roundabouts as you drive home from the camp out to where I live. So there's this round. They come to the roundabout, and it doesn't say stop. It says yield. But they would come to a full and complete stop. Because I think they're doing it on purpose to make me mad. There's nobody in front of them. There's nobody coming. They would stop. It's like they look both ways and four ways and behind me. And then they would look. You couldn't pass. You know, the lanes, and there's enough traffic where I couldn't get. I was... I almost did something really dumb and just passed them anyway. But then I was like, no, I can't. I'm here. I'm... <sighs> like I said, I'm glad the kids, now the kids are going to make fun of me. But there it is, right? So so there it is. Said, Come on, learn to drive. And, and, and idiot. I think that's an idiot driving. Oof. You know what I did there, though? I call my brother a fool. The Bible says something about that somewhere. Oh, yeah. Sermon on the Mount. If you call your brother a fool, you have committed murder. I hold that in my heart. I know murder's wrong, but it's, it's still that I, I slip in it, and it's so wrong, and I flash there. And, and it's, well, what, what would make me give that up? What would make me give up that anger and, and say, yeah, I, I had that, but I, I just said, new, why do I then say, no, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm an idiot for doing that. I am. Murdering my brother? Why? Why do I go there? This new perspective, right? And knowing that I myself am the idiot. I, I am so incredible. Idiots are loved by God. God even loves that guy. By the way, red Volkswagen Passat. Oh, no, sorry. He loves me. So the more I deny it, the more I cling to the law as the standard for judging God's pleasure in people, the more I give opportunity for the devil, Paul says. 
Opportunity for the devil, because the devil gets in there with accusations, both of you and other people. And really, he's accusing you, but he feels like he's accusing the other person to you as you get angry because, you know, really, they should have the fire of hell come on them for not going through that roundabout. And that's just a marker for many other worse things that people do. And what am I doing? I'm judging them. I'm saying, da and where's the actual accusation coming? What's the devil actually doing? He's giving opportunity and accusation to look. He's not really yours, Lord. Look at his horrible sin. The accuser comes and accuses me, deceives me that this is what's important, that justice is what rules, that right behavior is what's important, and that I am in the right. Except, you know, this perspective that Paul is saying is that my whole, you know, relationship is based on God's love for me. So, so I feel the anger, and that's not a right thing. The guy should have gone through the roundabout, and I can go to the cross. I can. I, it's not you must go to the cross or else. It's, it's, no, this is a whole new way that you get to have an example of realizing the renewal of your mind is you're just adored by the king. You know what? Even this delay right here, the Lord may have his hand in it. Maybe you weren't supposed to get home so fast, Swanson. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen a bunch. I was speeding, and then this really slow person comes in front of me. I'm so mad at them. And then you see the policeman, like, you know, half a mile down the road. Like, oh, thank you, Lord. All of a sudden, that slow person became like an act of God for you. So maybe it was that, and I just didn't see it. That, I mean, you just don't know. What you, uh, but this new perspective can come in, right? Okay, here's another. Here's another. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't this fun? I love this. It used to be, don't steal because that's one of the Ten Commandments. Right? God will get you if you steal. Maybe you'll lose a hand. There are religions that do that. So, so this new relationship isn't based on my avoiding stealing. I'm already loved by the king. So, so, but, but then the question becomes, why steal? Way better to work with these hands that God's given me and not to get stuff for me, but to have something to share. That's so fun to share with people. If you've never had that joy, you should share something today. I know, it's great. How fun to share. Fun to bring something to the camp out, right? To bless other people around. Some of the most amazing interactions I've had are with those of you who behind the seats bless people. And, and the people that do, and they're doing that, they get a charge out of it. Why? Because it's fun. Everything we had is a gift. And so you get this idea to enter into the gift culture that Jesus has made and give something to someone with no hope of return, with nothing. Just, I want to share with you the fruit of my labor. It's awesome. Makes me smile every time. People bring stuff here to the church and they give away produce. It makes me smile because it's just so cool. So so there's a new thing. Well, this is the law. Make sure you bring it and we will share it because that's what good people do. No. This is like how amazing it is to share something with people that you know God adores. It's cool. Okay. A couple more just real briefly. Let no corrupting mouth talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so it may give grace to those who hear. So so why use language that tears down, right? 
What is that accomplishing? What's the point? Usually the point is to make yourself look better or feel better. But I don't need to look better or feel better. I'm loved by the king. So it it doesn't make sense that I would need to do that. Okay, it's dad days at the Swanson household, and I got to watch all of the Camp Rock movies this past week. And that's those are Disney things, but I'll tell you what, it's teen girls in action. I'm, I'm a dad of girls. And boy, they use their language to rip each other apart. Clicks and things and pride. They're like Their language is such that, and, and so to lift up people or tear down people, and that's what they're doing all the time. So, so that's the whole point of what they're saying. Instead, Jesus comes along here and says, wait, wait, no. No, mature Christian. Jesus loves me more than I'll ever know. And my words, I want them to give grace to encourage others with this amazing great gift that I've been given. So total logical flow out of just receiving and glimpsing the height, the width, the depth of the love of Christ, right? And this ties into the reality of the Holy Spirit because he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Even keep going with <coughs> get the flow of that little bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So... If Jesus adores me, he does. And if Jesus adores you, he does. (coughs) Then he's given the Holy Spirit to who? You and me. He says we're sealed with the Spirit. So do you see what the meaning of grieving the Spirit is? It's not you doing any sin you can think of. It's not an individual thing. Like I'm in here and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is in here too with me and like the little guy, like the little angel sitting on my shoulder and telling me when I when I take the wrong turn, so no, 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 you took the wrong turn, come back and do the right thing. When I pop up and look at the wrong picture on the computer or, or, or when I come over here and I'm unkind to, 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 to somebody, well, not exactly. No, the grieving of the Holy Spirit is very specific and only here. Super important. We're talking about things. We're kind of talking light and stuff, and these are good examples. But these are incredibly deep things. You have the Holy Spirit, dear Christian, because God in Christ has set his love upon you. Your eyes are open. You say, I believe in Jesus. You get the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? It's not by you kind of pushing him out of your heart somehow. No, it's when you go to someone else who has the Holy Spirit, and you do what? Rip on him. Tear him down. These are those words, right? Malice is malice towards somebody else. And usually you do that because you need to feel better. So you're punching someone so you feel a little better. Like, man, those guys are so bad. What does that mean about me? I'm not quite so bad as them. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, just like words that don't have grace. These things, you know, slander is saying something wrong about someone. Clamors, you're hitting, and these words are all like relational words, and they mean you tearing down someone else who's a believer because that grieves the spirit. Why does it grieve the spirit? They've got the spirit, the same one you do. And the relationship that you have isn't based on how well they're doing. It's based on the question that you can answer. And I can answer, does Jesus love them? And the answer is, in the body, yes. That's grieving the spirit. Not about personal sin, some kind of weird personal improvement or personal holiness. It's about reflecting the truth that you now know that Jesus adores us both so much deeper than we can ever comprehend. 
And so then one final example there. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So right up the same alley. It's not, it's not be kind, be tender-hearted because that's the way good people act. And that might be true. But, or be kind and be tender-hearted because that's moral. Be, be, be kind or be tender-hearted because people are valuable and they deserve kindness. Boy, drink that water in our society right now. Not about that, right? This crazy motive, that's so different. I've been struck by the forgiveness of Christ right here. And that moves me to be kind because he's been kind to me. I forgive because you can't even comprehend how much I've been forgiven. You can't even grasp it. This is the path of life, is simply to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And so here today that he loves you and he adores you and he forgives you. And look, then this pathway becomes here's examples of how it might look like for you to process that. That's what Paul is doing today. That's what he calls walking. It's actually a deep and heavy thing because to set the mind on the flesh is death, he writes in Romans. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Mind on the Spirit is what? The Holy Spirit who teaches me, who comforts me with the truth that Jesus Christ died for me. It is finished. He has done it. So walk today. Let's end with this. We see that Jesus loves us right now as we are. Paul lays it out. He gives examples. Super amazing. I want to say one word before we close about how you take these commands. Actually, the word is about failure. Because, again, the, the way a lot of times to go through the word and to think is think about how it works when you fail. Because these Words right here, it's tempting and throughout Christendom to really twist around the words you heard today, to make them a new code, to say here are some commands and we'll measure how we're doing, we'll see how far we're advancing by how we do these commands. That is to use these as law. The law measures. And you can do that. You can take these and you can ask yourself today, how kind am I being? How tender-hearted am I? How quickly do I let go of anger? How do I, and I can walk through all of these things that we've looked at today that Paul uses as examples. And I can start to say, am I doing better? And the danger is that you'll start to say, yeah. I'll start to say, I'm doing pretty good. Especially compared to that Yahoo over there in that pew. Notice I'm not pointing at anyone else. Because this is a great danger. The law is fantastic. You can measure with it, but it should always carry with it condemnation. You don't. So it can be law. You can hear this as law this morning. The message of Christianity is, is this idea that you ought to be better, but the reality of the gospel that comes in is that Jesus Christ has paid it all for you, and he's the one. So the law needs to bring you to the cross. And when you say, man, am I kind? You say, you know what, I'm not kind enough. My tongue, like James 3, remember James 3? James 3 talks about how bad the tongue is. He never gives a, okay, now you've done it. It just says your tongue stinks. These things ought not be, he ends with. So it drives us back to hearing that there's another way to see these things. And it's, and I tried to lay it out for you this morning. 
It's the reasonable response to the amazing wonder that Jesus loves me. There's no law in it. Because I know this. Hear this. He is all these things. For you. Please hear this. He speaks the truth in love. He was angry without sin. He hoped all things for you. He builds you up. Out of his earned riches that he has earned, he shares graciously all good things. The needy, you and me, we receive from him. And and so we all have this. And with an open heart today, I'm so glad when I can reflect the smallest amount of this love. I love it. I love that we get to go into it. Um, But truly, knowing it's nothing, the, the way is knowing that it's nothing of me. And it's all Jesus who's done it. And when I can hear that and receive it, the the advancement and the latter goes away. And we get to be one body receiving Christ. I pray that for us. It's what we need. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this passage today and the wonder of it and the depth of Ephesians. And Father, we're not who we should be. Except, and Lord, we know that you have made great and precious promises to us of all you've done and of all you will do. Lord, help us to live believing, trusting the great promises you've made that you have us, that we're in your Son, and that we'll be with you forever. Lord, please allow that to change even how we walk here. In Jesus' name.